0: Sometimes people think I'm not serious because I laugh a lot, even in serious calls. We would get on big calls, global escalations, and we start laughing, shooting the breeze. and you know, we had an exec come on it's like, are you taking this seriously? And he said, like, look, we do this every day. Welcome to Cloud Security Reinvented, a podcast for security leaders with a focus on the cloud. Learn best practices from fellow security professionals and how they've seen security evolve across their career. Cloud Security Reinvented.
1: Good morning, or depending on when you are in the world, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Welcome to Cloud Security Reinvented. I'm your host, Andy Ellis. I'm here today with Jay Thoden van Velzen, Multi-Cloud Security Operations Advisor with SAP. Glad to have you on, Jay. Thank you so much, Andy. I'm so happy to be here. You know, I think we're all familiar with SAP. It is one of the global brands I think everyone's run across. But for those who aren't, SAP is one of the world's leading producers of software for the management of business processes, a company on a mission to help the world run better and improve people's lives. So, Jay, tell me how your role helps meet that. What is fascinating about SAP is that it does so many things. Like you can work
0: here for decades and find out like, wait, we do that? <laughs> like I have having sessions where I had no idea what to expect. And it was about like a piece of software that was measuring the weight during the me- chemical process of how much of something would go into a beaker to create something yep. and if it was too much, then it would record somewhere that it wasn't good. And like, that's just one tiny example, because I think business processes always gets a bit fuzzy. Like, what do you mean? Like HR travel? Yes, we do that too, but it's like goes down into these kind of manufacturing processes, logistics, like stuff gets from place to place because of what's happening in SAP systems. And of course, being part of securing that is like a very satisfying job because mm-hmm. if you're dealing with something meaningful, right? Like, uh, you know, that companies' financials run in your landscapes because increasingly SAP is not just a software company, but a SaaS solution provider. So there's like, you know, a boatload of companies that are relying on us to do that right so that they can even submit their financial reporting and being a part of that definitely drives you like it's sort of part of the mission Like okay it has to be we're not there yet we have to
1: get a little better because look at the mission and the responsibility that we carry now there's got to be a challenge there because we often tell security professionals understand how your business makes money so that you can align with that but your business (laughs) makes money in a lot of different ways so how do you like mentally keep a handle on know, you're aligning with some businesses that I assume need to move very slowly and safely and delicately and some that need to move with like rapid agility. Well, so SAP is so big that for us, like our customers are
0: sort of internal. So it's like teams internally that are moving to the cloud are already there or are just dipping their feet in. So it's like really varied of how you approach one versus the other. Some teams, you know. deal with a a a BISO team that has like 12 people on it and manages a couple of thousands of cloud accounts and distributes that through their organization yet to other teams. But there's also, you know, people doing very small things or doing an experiment and have no idea that they picked the wrong GitHub to push it, access right. you to, right? So it's really varied. And what is, I think, really fascinated is how we try to create a point where people can come every week and ask questions and figure out like how do we actually do these things and what do we have to watch out for and you know not everybody knows where the link to the policy is or do yep. I have to do that or yeah you do but how do I do that are there colleagues that have figured this out already or is there a central service I can use and I think increasingly especially with cloud. I think it was a bit easier before in data center where you could just I wouldn't mean, make oversimplifying, but you could slap a next gen firewall on the outer perimeter and then it's like what happened in size like Call it am 50% done. Exactly, right? And here, especially with the fact that you have, you know, not just dozens of teams, but hundreds of teams that can do stuff and make decisions of what they deploy and how they deploy it in the cloud, is uh a really interesting job to try to govern in some way it really
1: does and yeah i suspect i'm looking from the outside at sap and i have probably a lot of assumptions about how cloud security works but from your industry what do you find is sort of the most surprising thing that an outsider would just never expect like what's different I think one of the things that, because I, I came from
0: focusing on, on IOT and OT security, and I thought that a lot of it was much more similar than I expected. I thought like, okay, I'm going from the sort of old stuff that's around for 30 years to this, the new. And while like there's definitely complete contrast because you might use a service and three months later it's retired or changes in a way that you didn't expect a lot of the problems turned out to be the same because you know i think it's quite well known that sort of the the typical security risks in public cloud are misconfigurations and known vulnerabilities yep right and that's kind of the same problem in iot and ot like how do you do key management how do you deal with You know, something that gets deployed thousands of times and maybe you can't easily get to it, right? How do you deal with something that known non-vulnerable, but hopefully is isolated behind a NAT or a proxy or this, that, and the other, because stuff still needs to communicate, Mm -hmm. right? Like one of the things that I really learned in the sort of OT, IT bridge was that it was going to happen. Right. Like, and we've all known it was happening 20, 30 years old, but it's going to happen. We are going to automate, otherwise, the company no longer exists. And I think also, like, having been with SAP as an enterprise software company that really is often much closer to the business processes of what our customers do, you have sort of this sense like it's going to happen. So you just have to deal with it. Right. And I think that's really interesting how. on the one hand, it always feels unfinished, but that, you know, a lot of the problems are the same, different solutions, but a lot of these things
1: sort of bleed into each other. Yeah. So I think you might've actually already answered my next question, but very subtly. So I'm going to try to tease it out. You know, as cloud has become more prevalent, how have you seen security and how it affects your world change? I think what's, what's interesting is how everybody seems to
0: sort of stumble into the cloud, like it starts off with, huh, let's see what that is. <laughs> we'll do some demo stuff on it. We will use it for some dev systems because you know, so it takes time to get a VM out of the data center people. And then at some point you're running production workloads before you even knew that you did. That was the situation in SAP around like 2015-ish or so. And I think almost luckily, because I've heard that for others, this was much harder to achieve. SAP liked business processes and central costing and, you know, central allocation and cross-charging. So the multi-cloud team got created. That Its very first uh, responsibility was essentially to create cloud accounts within the organization of each cloud provider, do the central billing. And if you didn't get your cloud account through that group, we just wouldn't expense you. So like no more credit card, like, oh, I just take it out of this. Like it has to go through the proper ways, right? right? And that it was a a really good way to get started and and created in in a way the function that allowed us then to like add more central services to that. And I think I lost a little bit beginning of your question.
1: Yeah, no, I think that what I was going to tease into there, but I loved where you went, was you made this comment about how services become disposable as well. Yes. Right. That this idea that it used to be that architectural components were like capital, you made a decision on an architecture, you were stuck with that. And with whatever product you went with for a decade. This is part also where
0: some of my empathy comes from, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, you know, I, kind of an enthusiast for the cloud, right? You see the promise, you see the cool stuff like, oh my God, can do that. This is fantastic. Right. But because we're still in a major cloud transformation and migration from data centers into public cloud, I was talking to this guy who was like, you know, my life used to be so simple. Like we built a system, it was architected, I monitored it, it was there Mm -hmm. and you know, it went through proper change processes and everything. And I was confident and now everything has changed. Yes. Like everything moves and people deploy stuff and I'm mean, being asked to do this and the other, and I don't really know exactly what's going on and then stuff changes and, you know, I kind of want to put an arm around them on the one <laughs> hand, but on the other hand, also like, how do it. like it was never going to be different. Like, it's not going to be over once your cloud migration is done, like this is what you really have to adjust to. And I think that's maybe the biggest challenge that not just us, but I think everybody has that is going to the cloud now, like, and thank God, like many of the services are a bit more stable than they used to be maybe a couple of years ago, and there's more sort of additional services that can help you get it right. Because in some ways we've had to build out a bunch of stuff ourselves or crash on a couple of tools. But uh, make it easier to get the ones that don't really want to go, but are told to go, get them a bit more secure. And I'm actually encouraged that file providers increasingly are starting to think like, okay, maybe adoption is no longer a problem. If we go a
1: little bit more secure by default, that'd be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. What do you see as being the biggest bottleneck or barrier to improving the security and business outcomes in the cloud?
0: I think a lot of it is really to do with mindset because like there comes a point where you sort of get how cloud works and what it sort of expects of you. Like I used to write exploit codes. So like, I knew that this stuff that runs on an Intel CPU simply won't work on an arm CPU, mm-hmm. regardless of what you know, some Java programmer may say, right. And the same kind of goes for the cloud. Like they are their own architecture. And the more you adopt to it, the better your outcomes ultimately are going to be. And that includes like, you know, build your pipelines around cloud native processes, deploy at will. If somebody submits to a particular code pipeline, is it going to, you know, build automatically deploy and see it so that you can see if it works and get the more you do that versus what you've been used to in the past right i'll take the ultimate extreme that blows everybody's cloud mind is like in place patching yep right like at our scale like we have like hundreds of thousands of vms running in the cloud we have over a half a million of containers of the ones that I can see, and I know there's still some that I don't have sight into, right? Like you can't do this with an, oh, we're just going to go cluster by cluster and do an update, right? right? Suspend them, turn them off, update them, bring them back, put workloads. Yeah. So it's a shift left part of it, just as much as do you know how to like orchestrate a cloud architecture and then the shield, right, to make sure that we close the loop and catch the ones that make a misstep.
1: Yeah. I think that that's, uh, there was this blog post written, I want to say 15 years ago at this point by Joel Spolsky, you know, Joel on software at uh, what was what? It fog Creek about leaky abstraction barriers. You basically said like these higher level programming languages. And I think you're making the same point about deployment models, abstract everything away from you. You don't need to understand what's happening under the covers, but if you don't, you will not be as good of a developer. I think like, but you need to know it as an architect and you probably, yes. at
0: least some people need to know it from a security perspective. Like, look, you may only deal in JavaScript, but if a binary exploit comes in and makes it all the way down to the CPU, you're you still hosed.
1: Yeah. I think in, in his case, he was referring to things like if you don't understand memory management at all, then it doesn't matter if you're in a high level language with no memory management, because you can still blow out the memory that's underneath you. If you're not careful, thinking about what type of functions you use, for instance.
0: Look, if everybody did the right thing, then we wouldn't have unbound
1: string copies still in I know, it would be fantastic, wouldn't it? But as you look into the future, we looked into the past. We may have depressed ourselves for a moment, but what security practice today in cloud security gives you hope that the world is going to be better for us over the next five years? The fact that everything's an API. And that
0: there's multiple layers of hierarchy in it. Like, the, what we can do with org level roles across a cloud landscape is magic. Mm-hmm. Like, not only can we pl- deploy preventive controls that says, like, you know, all our buckets shall be private unless you ask somebody. Right? Everything encrypted. You know, TLS yep. one two plus at the very least. That kind of stuff. You can actually implement as preventive control so that when somebody tries to, or that you can either remediate or you can actually prevent that. That's kind of the obvious one. But another one is the deployment of tooling. We're in an organization with what we say like LOBs, business units, but these themselves are fragmented all across the board and everybody has an opinion and, try to get something deployed, the new tool, and they'll go like, well, I'll have to take it through testing, right? I'm not saying that we don't do testing when we deploy something new, but it's a lot easier to just say, announce, like, this is what's going to happen. And this landscape is going to go first. And then the next landscape is going to go first. And then we roll it out across, you know, all six cloud providers and we'll give you the scan results right? Like you don't have to ask anybody. You don't have to ask for cooperation. And I'm not saying yep. that to be nasty. Like it also goes with good things like centralized lock collection of, you know, trail and such that goes straight into the seam mm-hmm. and a whole set of customer-facing lines of businesses go like, wait, you did that? Cool. That's that one done on my sock too, right? So that kind of magic of, being able to do something without, you know, having to ask tons of people for permission or having to go through some change advisory board in this place, that place, or the other, uh, is fantastic.
1: No, I'd love that. That is a great sign for our future. Let's look a little bit at actually at your past and your career. Cause your, your career is fascinating. Because functionally you've been with SAP for this entire millennium. I mean, you started business objects, which was acquired by SAP doing analytics. So what's it like coming out of the analytics background? So I took the
0: analytics job because at that time there was no such thing as a security job, like we're talking like 1999 and I thought analytics always was really interesting. What actually happened was I came to a job fair and like I saw lots of stuff that people were doing that I knew what it was. And it was this company that says like, Hey, we have this thing and it can create reports out of databases rather than write your own SQL." It's like, mm-hmm. I'd never even heard of that. And so, uh, and then by the sort of companies that we were working with, like all like big enterprise software, what was fascinating is that everywhere that you went, you learned something new. Like if you're doing analytics and metrics then you got to ask, well, how does your business work? Otherwise there's no point in doing it. So I learned through like series of industries and, and different countries and how things work differently. And then when SAP took over business objects, it was in a way as if like a whole new market fell open because something you were came together with the ERP guys, like, and now we need to do the business metrics out of that. So that gave me a really strong so of like not like when you do a job for a long time, like first couple of years you just learn what it is. Then right. you start thinking like, well how should we actually do this stuff? And there comes a point where it gets so natural that like, you know, get into like data visualizations and big data by the end of it to try to get like real meaningful things out that tell a story that like communicate in some way some very complex things. And finally had the opportunity to get into security and guess what? Who has almost, has a major challenge talking to business leaders and the executive board, Basically, because you cost money and is yeah. it going to get better? Like you do better, you get more alerts. How the hell do you communicate that? Like
1: with yep. control metrics. Right. right? So. Then you transitioned right from the business objects and global HANA services over into IOT and OT security. Like what's that transition? Like, cause you're not changing companies. I was kind of a hacker.
0: Like I, I break stuff yep. like in a way people might say that I also break organization and business <laughs> processes too. But yeah, I like ask a lot of questions like hackers do where you like, oh, what's that do poke at it, uh, does funny stuff. Right. And, that's kind of what I've kept bringing yep. throughout where like you just ask questions, like, why does that not work? Like, can we do that a little better? So I'm always like, I prefer things that are a little bit chaotic and need to be fixed rather than things that need to be managed for
1: a long time. Yep. And so, you know, so you were there, I think we talked a little about the transition, you know, coming over to the multi-cloud world, you know, from IOT and OT. And so I guess the, the real question is like, I think you've been ahead of the curve on multi-cloud. These things are funny
0: because I sort of stumbled into IOT security yep. because nobody was doing it and somebody kind of had to cover it and it's like, this is my chance. And then I came in like, you know, you do it's like, oh, I'll bring 30 years of, you know, infosec IT security type of experience to what supposedly at the time people were saying, like, everything is so vulnerable, so I literally came in was like, why don't we just patch them? And then was right. repeatedly told, like, it doesn't quite work that way. <laughs> right. And that I think was really interesting in going into, because part of that role also was a security expert for the development organization around the d- digital manufacturing and supply chain. So it was also exposed to the internal processes around secure software development life cycle and intermediating on behalf of the team with the security policy team. And that was really interesting coming into this role because I was able in many ways to be sort of this bridge function between what the lines of businesses were going through from a software development life cycle, I had enough of an operational background and ran the SecOps team to the points like, Hey, we actually have to do this ourselves too. And like, just because you want something that means work for a whole bunch of people mm-hmm. and that realization of how at this scale, and we're talking 13,000, 13 and a half thousand cloud accounts, like millions and millions of storage buckets, network assets, like. There's so much of it that at some point it's somewhere going to go wrong, right? And being able to understand at that scale that that's going to happen and that it's never going to be exactly perfect and that you need to work with the teams to understand what it is that they're capable of doing, where they are in their maturity level, where maybe a new central service needs to be built, I think that is you know, sort of this, this challenge, like, I keep saying, like, there's no playbook yet. I wish there was, right? Like, I think uh, NIST did only recently, I think a version of their framework that was somewhat cloud aware, but we've been going through sort of these NIST mappings for some time. And half of it was literally like, I don't know how I translate that into something cloud. (laughs) Right. Like, so if you don't have the frameworks, if your advice comes from cloud providers where, in many cases, it's right, but you don't know, right? Like, but it could at least be perceived as self serving. If you then also multi cloud and Mm -hmm. go like, Well, it has to work everywhere. We had to actually tell some of the cloud providers who said like, why don't you use this? It's actually really good. And we said like, it's actually really good. It's also really good value for money, but none of the other ones have an equivalent service to it, so we kind of have to build it ourselves. Otherwise, what are we going to do? Right? So I think a lot of us are still having to make really tough choices of how we deal with this at all look, that's also exciting, right? And I'm not saying that we're doing it badly. Like we have a pretty
1: decent compliance rate. If I And the fact that you know about that problem, because I talked to too many professionals that are like, oh, I just found out I'm in this cloud too. <laughs> right? And so now they're trying to sort of stand up from scratch this idea of multi-cloud. So... I think you're, you've been well ahead of the game and you're positioned yeah, to help people I, with that advice.
0: You know, I, I remember doing a
1: presentation.
0: This is like, I think about a year and a half ago to uh, a couple of German SAP user group CISOs. And I didn't really know what to expect, but it's like, okay, let's tell at least what we're doing to keep their landscapes safe and uh, what mm-hmm. maybe they could learn from it. And yeah, you're presenting and the slide is in front of you. So I didn't see their faces or reactions. And I was done after 20 minutes going through like how we do compliance scans or kind of remediation follow-ups we do. And I closed the presentation, got back to full view and half of them were like. Just staring. Yeah. It like it, it took a while even for questions to come. And it was like, one of them literally says like, you guys are dealing with problems I didn't even know I was going to have. Yep. It's, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Like we heard from one cloud provider, this (laughs) is like, I I remember how it happened. It was uh, together with the multi-cloud VP in the room with one of the big cloud providers who told us that due to our existing size, it's, it's existing scale, the continued growth rate, because we basically double every year in size and the variety of the landscape we were unique in the customer base okay i've been in yeah. enterprise software for like
1: 20 plus years that's not what you want to hear unless no, you you're don't federal government yeah yeah unless unless you're in the business of arbitrage that's not really the place you want to be in yeah what's what's crazy is that like sap started off multi-cloud for business reasons like
0: it was yep. a business strategy reason like you know certain customer industries may have a problem giving money to one of the cloud providers that may also be in the industry. It was kind of a given, and it's gotten to the point where it's a technical necessity, especially in the last couple of years, like COVID, supply chain problems. It's like neither we nor a single cloud provider could provide us with the amount of resources we need,
1: which is... Oh, that is amazing. So as you look back on your career, is there some piece of advice or an impactful or memorable moment that has sort of shaped your career that you really have appreciated? There's a lot of it, but there's one manager that I had ultimately for about 12 years.
0: I'm not sure if I should mention his name, if he would be, a, ah, Andy Style, absolutely fantastic guy. He's at Google now. But he was at SAP for a long time. And uh, he was sort of, Like a bit of the mentor for me that got me into sort of more business operation type role, like he ran a global team that I was kind of sort of the technical guy for, and he was really smart. He brought all kinds of people together that did different things that looked at each other and went like, why
1: is he here? And
0: built these extremely successful teams. Like basically a team of, you know, what you might call alphas. It's like a, a language maybe. Mm-hmm. We get the, the what I'm trying to say, and we would always do these big things, right? And we go like, yeah, but Andy, it's like, it's like, but this and that, just chipping away at one day at the time. That was his thing, and you know, that's what we did. So a little bit something, a little bit something, and by the end of the year, you went, look, we did all that, right? And that I yep. still take, you know, for everything that we do is like, yeah, big problems, it, but you know, just do a little bit every day, be consistent,
1: keep it up. Yep. And finish the job. Yeah. Turn the flywheel. I had a manager who used to say that, like, what are you doing today to keep the flywheel moving, even if you're not getting it any faster. So what would you tell a security leader today as advice on how to build and develop a world-class cybersecurity team? I think everybody's struggling with this. I think like some of this is a bit, so if, you know, everybody works within
0: certain constraints, right? Like yep. not everybody is multi-cloud. Not everybody is in the position that we're in in a way we was make easier for us by the fact that because we're so big and so multi-cloud, mm-hmm. we can't hire for somebody that does what we do. So I can't go out. It's like, oh, would like I have a seg devops engineer with experience in six cloud providers and chef inspect. That person does not exist, There's, those people work already in that team. What we also realized is that people didn't even know what Sec DevOps was if we, when we advertised the role. So we got DevOps engineers who I was like have no interest in security. So what we really did is like, okay, if you I have you, DevOps, cool. If, if you have some, you know, infrastructure type experience, cool. If you are really into security, that was sort of the baseline, like didn't have to have that role now, but like something that said, like, I really wanted to get into security, that was maybe a bit personal thing where like, you know, want to give people a chance that maybe didn't make that first move. Right. We hired people that were in like support roles. We were hired people that were in data center infrastructure. I how somebody uh, who was in, led a team of 15 SecOps, but absolutely wanted to move into public clouds. Like, yes, you're welcome. Right? So look into places that other people haven't looked. Like I'd look through like 50, 60 resumes and pick three because there's something in there that piqued my interest. I had a guy interviewed ultimately for silly admin reason. It didn't work who had a resume that was about bioinformatica and I couldn't really see how that was relevant, but wrote a cover letter that said, and I'm doing this and I'm, you know, community leader and try hack me and so on. And it's like, well, at least that's enough to get an interview. Right. And I think we sometimes, you know, the joke is like, you know, entry level cybersecurity engineer, CISP and five years of experience, like, no. Right. But look for that person that's talented, right? Like don't look for what they know now, look for what they could learn and know tomorrow. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we've seen how in our own team, the ones that are moving the fastest are the ones that are touching the infrastructure every day, right? The guys that find out like, Hey, something broke again because some cloud provider changed the API or now recommends to do it in a different way. Right, so just get smart people on board with a good ability to learn, with an interest in what you're doing. Like part of our interview always is, how much do you really want to be part of this team? How much do you want to do security? Yeah, right. Like there's a lot of people that say, like, oh yeah, DevSecOps. That sounds okay. This is not about helping a team build secure product. This is about security operations in a DevOps way. Yep. And we've had people that have said like well no thanks cool that's all good we've had others that didn't know really what they were applying for that are now members of the team
1: that's awesome i love that as i'm always a big fan of looking outside and looking for people in adjacent career fields so i like hearing different ways of pulling that in let's take it personal for a moment what do you do to unwind i suspect given your background for those of you who are listening on audio it may have a little bit to do with music Yes, it is. I Like they're partially there to remind me every day that
0: I should play more when I'm no, on video because, uh, I, you know, music comes and goes. So it's like, sometimes you don't feel like playing because you don't have anything to express. And sometimes it's exactly the right thing to do, especially on a Sunday morning when everybody's out of the house. But we also have a lovely little dog that like on a day-to-day Uh, We have a little multi-poodle called Malcolm X because he's Mm -hmm. the dog of the people. He loves everybody. (laughs) Um, And he'll come like, you know, you have your daily frustrations or maybe not such a great day. And he'll just come like jumping in. It's like, come play with me, come play with me. So nothing will cheer you up more than a little dog that wants to go to
1: the beach, which is like really right outside. Oh, that's awesome. I'd be at the beach every day. I'm not even sure why you're here and not at the beach. Although I guess given your time zone, you know, it might be different. So
0: it can actually get kind of cold. Like we're right in that area where like everything else in California is being baked and then because the Monterey Bay is so critically cold, we actually get fog layer yeah yeah
1: northern california's beaches and i grew up in la and beaches down there are fantastic mostly year-round everything
0: here around here is a natural park that's absolutely stunning
1: yeah yeah it's beautiful there but i don't know that i recommend the water for the place to go swim in the middle of the winter and this is why everybody but everybody local wears a wetsuit like we actually
0: the only time that i've been in the water without a wetsuit was when i came here as a tourist to see what it was like And then like every local always
1: stands like, what are they
0: doing? Don't they know
1: it's cold? Yeah, I know. It's a little chilly there. Yeah. Besides wearing a wetsuit in Monterey, do you have a pearl of wisdom to leave our listeners with? Gosh,
0: I'm not sure I'm that wise.
1: Yeah, what I would say is like, you know, we we do
0: a lot of weird things in security, especially cloud security. And we deal with a lot of people that don't really know what we're doing. Like, and I'm not saying like friends and family, that's kind of a given if you do security, colleagues in the company that you work with that are still adjusting to cloud or didn't know that a cloud migration was going to affect them in some way. So you run in really bizarre, sometimes frustrating scenarios. And what I try to do is sort of see the absurd of that, but just take a step back and, you know, like one day, this will, I write a book or something like that to help you mentally get out of that a little bit and you're like, look, everybody's here trying to do the right thing, right? Like everybody comes from a different place. And part of the fascination in life is actually have that interaction with people that have different viewpoints, backgrounds, and as long as we can get that Continue that dialogue, right? Sometimes people think I'm not serious because I laugh a lot, even in serious calls, mm-hmm. um, and that's been going for a long time. Andy, in a way, had the same thing where the you know we would get on big calls, global escalations, and we start laughing, shooting the breeze, and you know we had an exec come on. It's like, are you taking this seriously? And Andy said, like, look, we do this
1: every day. Yeah. I had a colleague similarly who'd be on incident calls, managing an incident with yep. his feet up on the desk, kicked back in his chair, like totally relaxed. And one day I walked by and he said, it's very similar. I don't think I was quite as aggressive. And I'm like, aren't you running an incident? And he looked at me and he said, nobody is shooting at me. And tonight I will be sleeping with my head not on a rock. What's to worry about? This is exactly like, not it seems like nobody knows this, right? Like maybe it's like hacker
0: movies or TV yep. shows. There's a security incidents. Are quite... Yes. There's not like an outage where, right? like where everybody's shouting like, get it back up, get it back up. It's like you're dealing with people where like, not, first of all, not that many people are involved There's kind of a careful assessment. And everybody knows like, look, if we just detected it. It was there five minutes ago before we detected it too. We now have to do some stuff. Of course. Yeah. I will get the right people in, but it's some of it is just like seeing somebody dig through logs. You yeah. know, it's not that exciting. It's it really like, is I mean, not. like, Oh, it's like you know, we trace the attacker from one continent to the next. Like,
1: calm down. <laughs> well, Jay, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Andy. It was a delight. And for our listeners, you can catch us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. I'm Andy Ellis for Cloud Security Reinvented.
0: Thank you for listening to Cloud Security Reinvented. Brought to you by Orca Security. With Orca, your vision is clear, your business is secure, and your cloud, well, it's yours. Orca Security, the cloud is yours. We hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, Please consider leaving us a review to help spread the word.